0: Okay, you happy to go for this? Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> what face was that?
0: That was my eyes to wipe my <laughs> eye face. <laughs> I've just about had enough of you. I'm more than machine. Oh, man, got
1: a man a I am at your disposal
0: with hundred and eighty-seven other languages, along with their various dialects and sub Dialects and sub Hello. There you are. Uh, Welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with me, Matt Brown. Hello. And Stephen Murray. Hello. Stephen Murray. What the heck has been going on in the wide world of robots and AI and androids and cyborgs this week?
1: Uh, A politician gave a speech in the Welsh Parliament generated by a controversial chap, GPT to write a speech congratulating Wales on winning the World Cup of Darts. He admitted the speech ended a little oddly when he declared, long live darts. (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. I think this is where we're starting to realise that you can use it as a tool, as in it's not going to be a one-stop shop. You've got to, then you you generate that, then you put it into another AI that refines it. And then, then, then... uh, Speaking as an academic, then I'm finding that more acceptable. Hmm. If my students were just to use ChatGPT4 or any of the other generative AIs online, just to write their essay lazily with one sentence, I'm going to notice it.
0: What if they wrote it lazily as in they used lasers? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that would be acceptable that would they're team, not allowed
1: it. lasers we're not allowed lasers anymore in the lecture halls to point at your screens yeah it's health and safety gone mad <laughs> it is isn't it
0: political correctness gone <laughs> that's mad that's the
1: one i meant <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, welcome to the show um we are as ever trawling science fiction films for ones with robots in between the years 1927 and 1977, and we're just asking whether the robots are any good or not. And today we have uh, landed on Planet of the Storms. In Russian, which is the um, the country it was made in, it was called Planeta Burr, and it was also released under the titles Planet of Storms, Planet of Tempests, Planeta Berg, and Storm Planet. <laughs> But I suppose most famously for us, it's known as Planet of the Storms, isn't it?
1: It is. Yeah. Before we go into it, there's a timeline I think we need to be reminded of. Okay. And this is the uh, Russian space timeline from 1957, which was Sputnik 1 and Sputnik 2. Both were launched in that, 1957. 1959, Luna 2 was the first spaceship to reach the surface of the moon. Wow. Wow. The first human-made object to make contact with another celestial body that was in 1959 amazing so by now the Americans are incandescent mm. 1959 Luna 3 orbits the moon photographing the far side of the moon yeah the Americans are furious 1960 Sputnik 5 aboard the Sputnik 5 are the first animals two dogs Belka and Strelka Uh, and a range of plants are returned alive from space. 1961, Vostok 1. Now the Americans are just pulling their hair out. Uh, A clear triumph for the space race, Yuri Gagarin makes a single orbit around the Earth and becomes the first man to reach space. 1961, and this is relevant to us, uh, Venera Project launches and lasts till 1983. The Venera Projects were all of the probes that the Russians sent to Venus.
0: This blew my mind. You mentioned this a and few I've... podcasts ago. And it is extraordinary. This, this is when, 1961?
1: Now, uh, 1961, the project starts. Now, a couple of them uh, didn't reach Venus, but the pub, the general public didn't get to know that. Okay. And it wasn't until much later that they actually... They landed lots of probes, but they tended to get crushed or destroyed in the atmosphere. Yeah. But they did land... Uh, a couple of probes that took photographs of the oh of the Venusian surface. That's amazing.
0: And when was that then? When when did they take photographs?
1: Uh, I think it was in the late seventies.
0: Late seventies. I was going to say that the the Planet of the Storms film is about um, cosmonauts landing on Venus. And it yeah. very much felt like they didn't have any <laughs> reference photographs to go No,
1: off. they had absolutely no reference to the atmosphere whatsoever. No, woman. no. And then in 1963, which is after this film, but it's kind of relevant, is the first woman in space, Valentina Treshkova. Amazing. All Russian, all firsts.
0: Okay, so that's where we are in terms of real, actual life. Yeah. Um, you've given that context that the opening sort of slate of the film is, I think I thought was really interesting because it's basically a little sort of tiny little speech that's given. And the words are scientific data about Venus is insufficient and contradictory. Only imagination is able to look at the unexplored world. (laughs) And that's basically saying that we have got no idea what Venus is like. So we've just used our imaginations and this is it. That's lovely. I suppose it is isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is. And it and it sort of like sets up this idea that you're not looking at you're not actually looking at Venus. No. You're looking at a Venus a <gasps> Venus of the imagination.
1: An adventure.
0: An adventure, absolutely. So, as ever, I'll just give you a quick a tiny sort of overview of the plot which is <laughs> which is and it's there's lots of quite complicated bits I I thought, but essentially a, a, a group of Russian cosmonauts land on Venus, but they land in two separate places and they're trying to to find each other. Um, and when they land, they discover that they are not the first to have landed on Venus. Um, the sort of planet is overrun by all manner of strange creatures and plants. And there's a sort of a hint that there might be some kind of human-esque alien that may have landed there before. And then they all managed to escape, aside from one poor member of the crew.
1: Mm, my favourite.
0: <laughs> Your favourite. The robot, unfortunately, does not make it off the planet. No, he uh, does. But we'll come to that in good time.
1: A bit like Christ, he does predict his demise.
0: <laughs> he's, you know, he's not the first robot that we have likened to Christ on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we won't As soon as be I lats. said it, as soon as I said it, I was thought, "Oh God, is that c- controversial?"
0: No, Metal Mickey has also been <laughs> like a Christ. Now, did you find out what happened to Metal Mickey after the TV show finished?
1: No, I didn't. Um, there's nothing on how he was built or what happened to him afterwards.
0: I mean, it's almost
1: <laughs>
0: perhaps I'm drawing too big a parallel. Too strange a parallel, but I mean, he's almost like Christ, isn't he?
1: Oh my God.
0: This film was based on a novel by uh, Alexander Kazantsev and it was directed by Pavel Klushantsev. I'm not going to irritate any Russian speakers by trying to pronounce any of the actors' names. Uh, You can just go to Wikipedia for that information if you want. Um however we've got basically a crew uh which comprises of Ilya. Ilya I think is the kind of lead dude, isn't he? Yeah. Then you've got a character called Roman, uh, Alyosha, Ivan, Kern, Masha, and Robot John, who is the robot.
1: Alan Kern is supposedly an American on board. Robot John is an American robot as well.
0: Kern has has created Robot John, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And that's happened before, isn't it? The, in the film First Spaceship to Venus, there was uh, a, an American character who was obviously played by a, an East German
1: actor. Yeah.
0: Okay. So at the beginning, there are three Soviet spaceships which are heading for Venus. Um, they want to land on Venus and perform an exploration and the the spaceships are Sir, Sirius, Vega, and Capella. Capella, though, is struck by a, a huge meteor and explodes and completely is destroyed and everyone on board is dead. And so then you've got this situation where, which reminded me a bit of the, you know, the sort of riddle of the fox. You've got a fox and you've got chickens and you've got a river and your boat and you've got to get... You've got to get them all over so that they the fox doesn't eat the chickens and the whatever do you know that you
1: know that one I do yeah
0: but it sort of reminded me of that because after this explosion they can't land on venus they've got to wait for another craft but then there's all these discussions about how they can actually they can land on venus if two if some of them go down first in a glider and then some join later in a ship and then one ship remains in orbit and waits for the other ship that's coming from Russia. You know, there was all that sort of going on, which took a surprising amount of time.
1: 25 minutes.
0: Yeah, a lot. And in those scenes, we get to meet the crew. and We find out that Ilya and um, Masha are an item. Yeah. We get to meet uh, Kern and Robot John. But before we chat about Robot John, because he he turns up very early in the film, um, we've also in this sort of podcast series, we've sort of luxuriated a little bit in some of the the spacecraft, the interior of spacecraft that we have encountered. And I have to say that the interior of these ships, I absolutely loved. Really? Yeah. You know how in um, Forbidden Planet, the the aesthetic for that was called, what was it called? Raygun, Raygun Gothic. And you could definitely not level that phrase at these the interior of these ships i mean there's there's portholes which have got wooden inlays there's the bathroom where they have they just go and have a shave it just looks like like the bathroom of a suburban house doesn't
1: it i would call it melancholy optimism
0: for anyone who's listening who's not in the uk there's a brilliant grown up comic in the uk called viz and in a recent viz I saw that you know their top tips. Yeah. So these are like these sort of parody tips that you'll find in supermarket magazines. <laughs> so there was one really recently and it just really resonated with the look of this spaceship. Particularly with one scene where we meet Kern for the first time, and Kern is is in the sort of gymnasium and he's using. <laughs> it's such a funny entrance to a character. But he's basically it's like this whole gymnasium has got a series of different chest expanders. That he, you know, the the things looks, with on the the springs that you put that you pull apart to, to do your.
1: But they're on his shoulders, and they're pinning. He looks like he's trying to push out a poo in zero g. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the wall is just full of the, of, of these chest expanders hanging up. And there's so the top tip in Viz that, that made me laugh was it says, outer space drama makers, set the fictitious year of your show at least 500 years into the future, thus avoiding your predictions being proved embarrassingly wrong within your <laughs> own lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was excellent. And I thought, yeah, they probably, like, looking at that, even 10 years or 20 years down the line, I thought, yeah, maybe chest expanders, wouldn't we wouldn't have that on.
1: They do have bikes uh, in on the um, International Space Station, like exercise bikes. Yeah, they do.
0: Well, there you go. I'm proved massively wrong. By, <laughs> but by I don't have, by exercise.
1: <laughs> I don't have elastic twanging straps <laughs> pinning you to the ground <laughs> that you've got to force yourself against.
0: Chest expanders just really reminds me of um, old fashioned gymnasiums, medicine yeah, balls. Yeah, yeah, you know uh, torture. Pop- Pummel horses, yeah, climbing up ropes, that all that sort of stuff. Which feels very sort of like of that of that time. Yeah, I've got this little this this sequence down, this twenty five minute sequence in the spaceship, as I just said, kitchen sink drama deep in space.
1: Oh, completely. I mean, they took their time over the three crew members they lost and then debating on who's going to be where and whether they should do it. And then, uh, and then one of the crucial bits is they, they leave, is it Marsha? Yeah. They leave Marsha behind. Masha. Masha, which apparently, Masha. but that was a terrible thing to do apparently in the plot because the character of the female cosmonaut, portrayed emotionally and arguably mentally unstable, was criticised by Soviet government and press as misogynistic and wow. damaging Kulshantsev's career. Oh my God. I know.
0: All the blokes go down to the planet, don't they? And she's the I... only woman and stays stays up there, keeping the fires warm sort of She thing.
1: loses contact and then loses her mind.
0: Yeah, she does. And there's an amazing scene. There's a lot of extreme close-ups in this film. And there's one which is beautiful, which is where... It sort of pushes the camera pushes in onto her face and she blinks and tears roll down her cheeks.
1: Big, big tears. Yeah.
0: And it's in marked contrast, there's a scene much later on where where spoiler alert Robot John perishes and <gasps> Kern is seen sort of trying to cry in his in his helmet. And he's just it's just like, Mate, you just you've lost the crying The Crying Battle, because Masha has just wiped the floor with you. So I thought the spaceship spaceship looked a little bit rustic, I thought.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. In marked contrast to the the American, uh, you know, depictions of space. Vastly
1: more Russian than the spaceship in uh, the first spaceship on Venus.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, like, even a film like um, Devil Girl on Mars, which is a decade previous to this, there's an, an interior of that spaceship which is, like, pristine white minimalist you know conceptual very conceptual and this is not is it this is just it's like it's almost like a child a child has been asked to it's like what would a spaceship look like and they've basically transplanted a house into (laughs) into into a spaceship
1: or as one of my old scottish boyfriends would say we're put on this earth to suffer and suffer we will (laughs) (laughs) And the interior of that ship is just not going to be a pleasurable journey, is it? No, it's not.
0: Okay, so it's around this time that we meet John the robot for the first time.
1: His entrance is brilliant.
0: Go on, describe his entrance. His
1: entrance is that uh, Alan sits down, he counts out some numbers, and then the camera focuses right on his face and his eyes are lit. And then he just looks up and goes, Hello, John. And then the robot comes alive. Yeah. And the robot is in bits at this po- point in time because he has to be assembled on the planet. Yeah. And then they ask Robot John to calculate whether or not they'll be able to go down to the planet with a with a crew of six and how to calculate it. And John calculates it as in they're going to leave Masha behind. They can go down, but they will lose one crew member. and They have to lose one crew member. And he says, because I'm the heaviest, it will be me. And he's right. He is right. Yeah. So,
0: what did you think of the look of John the robot?
1: Well, he, he looked a little bit more like Mogira, the, the, the very first the Mecha that we looked at. Yeah. Yeah. He really he's got does. Very actually. Very big, big, big tuchus and big thighs.
0: He has, and he's got like massive sort of clawy toes, isn't he?
1: Yeah, I like those toes though. I mean, th- everything about him is incredibly impractical, but the way. <laughs> The way they use yeah. him looks brilliant. He's a big workhorse. He's like the JCB of robots.
0: Yeah, he does look. He does have a look of a nineteen thirties, forties robots that we've seen, doesn't he? Essentially, he's an android, isn't he? Yeah, he's got blinking lights for eyes, and he's got a whirly radar on his head. He's 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 not pushing the envelope design wise.
1: No, he's not. He's not sleek like Robbie. Robbie's Robbie's a houseboy. <laughs> he is. Robbie's a servant. Robbie makes dresses for Altera.
0: Yeah, and um, and he's super clever as well, isn't he? And I suppose like John is super clever as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, John's yeah, super no, that's clever. Fair. Kind of the equivalent would be the carrier from Aliens.
0: Yeah, I know the one that she dresses up in and when she wants to when kill. She,
1: yeah, and comes out and says that classic line: "Get away from her, you bitch." So it's kind of the equivalent of that very worky horsey, very industrial robot.
0: I did think it was a little bit gloomy of him to keep like updating them on their percentage survival <laughs> chance, which was like the percentage of death is 90%, he would keep saying. It's like, and yeah, then his own death. Himself. Yes. So anyway, so they get to, they decide that they're going to go down to the planet before the third spaceship from Russia gets there. So they leave Masha on board to slowly go mad. So you've got so you've got three crew members, John, Kern, and someone else who go down in a glider, <laughs> which is ludicrous, onto the planet through all the swirling mists of Venus, and they get lost. And then the rest of the crew take one of the other spaceships and land, leaving Masha up in the sky, up in, up in orbit. I mean, you've got to say that, the, that Venus, when they land, I mean, it does look remarkably like Earth, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> it does, except it's colour-graded to look alien. <laughs>
0: yes, it looks brown. <laughs> um, they, in fact, they remark on it, don't they? There's a, there's a scene where one of them is like saying, oh, regular rock, regular water. <laughs> So we, we're sort of like with the second crew, not the people who went down on the glider, but we're with the second crew. So we're not with John at the moment, we're with the rest of them. And as they're sort of exploring, one of them gets eaten by a, fly, <laughs> a Venus flytrap. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a weird Venus flytrap with massive tentacles.
1: It's a huge betentacled flower thing.
0: Yeah. We also at this point, because uh, Masha is up in... Up in orbit and is excited, gets excited by the fact that, that everyone has survived the landing. She does a bit of like um zero gravity space floating. She does, doesn't she? She gets all excited. Yeah. What so like broadly, what did you think of the special effects in this film? We've just seen like a, a Venus flytrap almost swallow a, a manhole, and we've seen a bit of zero gravity float floating. What did you think of the special effects?
1: They were they were okay. The, I, th- I think yeah, they, they, they were fine. I think as soon as the film sort of takes off, it never stops. Mm. After so, after the miserable, dismal uh, twenty minutes in of, of navel gazing, then uh, the, the film sort of cracks on. Yeah,
0: I agree. And it, I thought it was once they were on the on Venus. I, I was, yeah. I mean, I was not in the slightest bit bored.
1: And I think the the little floating car that looks like stingray was yeah. great. Yeah, and they obviously they'd they'd done that cleverly
0: because they'd managed to hide the wheels that it was yeah, obviously yeah. on. Very, anyway. Yeah, very some 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 I thought really interesting uh, solutions to. The problems of sort of creating. I mean, I don't know how they did the zero g thing. I mean, I I suppose she must have been on a wire, possibly. They
1: were on wires, but the interesting thing is that you mentioned that. I did look because, and but it had a it had a ceiling, so. It was quite interesting the way they did that.
0: Yeah, I thought that was really clever.
1: Talking about that... zero-g, there's yeah. a there's a routine. There's this, in quite a lot of films, especially from that time that carries on now, you get takeoff, weightless, meteors equals jeopardy, and destination. And this happens in the first spaceship to, on Venus, planet of storms, black hole, yeah. mission to Mars, silent running, and about several other space films. They just have this routine. And it's exactly the same.
0: Very interesting, Stephen Murray. Thank you. So we've we've seen the one team in jeopardy with the flytrap, and then we go over to see John and the rest of his team, and they're assembling John, um, and they assemble (laughs) as they're assembling him. They are basically attacked by Venus dinosaurs,
1: little mini
0: Godzillas. Yeah, Um, which could not look more more like people in.
1: that can't walk and have to kind of bounce yeah john has to be constructed on the planet and his arms on one rock and uh kern is holding his head and john is walking towards us and then he puts the arm on and he attaches the head and then he puts his hand all the way through john and pulls a panel shut on the other side which goes right back to this thing of the early robots where we see their interior just to to make sure that people don't think there's a human inside there.
0: Yeah. No, it was brilliant. that I really like that. And, and I have to say that always, 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 when you've got a robot like that, big lumbering robot with his head off or arms off, it really reminds me of the Iron Giant. Ted Hughes' Iron Giant, where the, the giant is rummaging around on the beach, has jumped down off the cliff and is rummaging around on the beach for things, which, I mean, I I hate to say it, I hate to be the one to say it, uh, harks back to more mythology that we've talked about on this podcast because uh, Gogmagog, the giant, is eventually thrown off the cliff into the sea. I'm sure that's where Ted Hughes got that from. And at this point as well, one of the crew members starts shooting at the dinosaurs with a gun.
1: With a, just a gun gun.
0: Just a regular fires bullets gun and I suppose that there were lots of moments that slightly took me out of the story like that there's another scene where they're on a beach and they light a fire
1: yeah
0: and they're all wearing their their helmets because presumably like there's like is it not much oxygen and yet this fire is like roaring (laughs) roaring away isn't it
1: (laughs) and what about the bit where they see a giant brontosaurus and he decides to take a blood sample that's by right. shooting it in the tail with a gun
0: <laughs> um we get to learn a little bit more about john the robot here as well which i thought and I th- there is a lot of nice detail about him he's sort of being spoken to over the intercom by one of the other um team so they've sort of like made contact with each other and uh, it's it's made clear to the person who's talking to john that he has to talk to him in a nice way that he can't just order him around yeah and John says that slavery is forbidden by his constitution. He says, "I am a free-thinking machine," and I wonder quite if, forward. It is quite forward, and do you think that's true? Particularly given his
1: demise, he In chooses sort of- though. But then, then his demise is quite interesting because um, the the lava damages his ability to be free-thinking. Mm. Uh, and it 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 uh, switches off his kind of human components, and he tries to save himself by grabbing of one of the humans, yeah, and crushing his leg <laughs> to try and get him off.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: I think that is quite, and we always say the word nuanced for the for whenever a robot sort of does something different. But that no, was a really interesting bit. It,
0: yeah,
1: it, I thought it was quite tense.
0: Yeah, I think John is a very interesting robot. Um, I like the fact that he only responds to kindness I thought that was nice
1: He likes music as well
0: yeah he plays music and yet on on the other on the other side of things he is shown to waterboard one of his companions he <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to he basically has to try and save his <laughs> companions who are low on low on something by by getting a pill out of a, a first aid box and giving it to them. And it's there that that, he's so undexterous,
1: isn't he? It was a really brave thing to do, I think. They did attempt to to have his clumsy, great big three-finger things, get the tablet out of the box and put it in his mouth, and then, as you say... Waterboarded. (laughs) Waterboarded (laughs) with a bottle of water, (laughs) just completely missing his mouth. Yeah. Uh, I love the bit where he uh, uses his body as a kind of a winch to pull the tree down. Yes. I think he is just... On an imaginative level, I think he's magnificent,
0: yeah, I think so too. He is a definite high point, I think of this completely. Uh, this film. Just to sort of like wrap up John's sort of story arc, there comes a point where, um for the whole of the of the film, they've been obsessed by this red, glowing thing that they've assumed was a city. And it turns out <laughs> that it's a volcano. Uh, and the volcano erupts and it means that John and his two companions are trapped. Um, so they, they take some samples of the of the lava and then they ask John to basically like wade through the, the lava and get them to safety, which he begins to do. And again, I, so this is my questioning this free thinking thing because he must know that the lava is going to damage him because he's a right old brain
1: box. Well, he like does I said, anyway. he's already said he's he's going to be sacrificed. Yeah, but
0: that's not free thinking, then, is
1: it? What he's done is he's made a decision, free thinkingly made a decision <gasps> that the only way the mission can be completed is if he is sacrificed. Yeah, and I think and, that and so is that's the ultimate, does. the ultimate sacrifice.
0: Okay, yeah, fair, fair enough. He wades across the the lava, as you've said, and and it does bad things to him. And so he tries to save himself by by killing the human. He's basically carrying two <laughs> humans on his shoulders as he's wading, and then he, he he thinks I've got to I've got to save myself, so I'm going to kill my creator and his friend. Um, but he he doesn't quite. They manage to the other the other crew manage to save him just in time in their speeder in their little speeder, and then you've got this incredibly sad uh, end yeah. to John
1: it is where he's. Sad.
0: He's standing in the middle of a lava flow and then just slowly falls forwards into the lava and is then swept away.
1: The only thing he doesn't do is put a thumbs up like the Terminator. <laughs>
0: and actually that's not the death of John per se because we'll at the end we've got something... Something interesting to say about that. There's Then there's jaunty sitcom music as they <laughs> as they return to the spaceship. And they're all having fun and they're making jokes. Um, they do a lot of exploring and capering and observing and japing. But there's a bit as well where they, they talk about, they've got this theory, which again, it harks back to something we've done on this podcast before, which is this idea that aliens had come to the planet before them and then they then start positing whether aliens had come to earth before humans, and even they talk about the evidence for that, which is all the evidence of the mysteries that we can't solve, like how the you know pyramids were built or just paintings in caves or whatever and and, and Atlantis gets a mention, and they talk about There's, the mysteries of, of Atlantis
1: all the way through the film though right, as soon as they're on the planet, sorry, um, there is this mysterious voices. Yes, singing like sirens, and they do find a statue under. There's an underwater scene, isn't there? And they do find a statue with emeraldy isle eyes. Yeah,
0: yeah they do. Atlantis esque.
1: Yes, yes. Now you're saying that these were visitors to Venus, or the, or were these um, Venusians?
0: Yeah, could be. Could well be.
1: I think this is the this is the bit that lifts this film up. Thanks. Alex Cox, the director. Said that um, this film, in parts, is quite miserable, but it has a brilliant twist at the end. Yes, which I is I that so he much. Said, he said, "Is it really lifts the film up to a different level?" Yeah, and he loved it. So I, that it it agreed. hints at that they're there, but you can't see them.
0: Mm. Which yeah. we
1: can hear them, but we cannot see them. Yeah. And one of the characters has picked up a rock earlier on in the film. And then he's trying to open up a device at the end so that they can get off the planet because the planet now is a planet of storms and it's pouring with rain and there's lava everywhere and he hits this device to try and open it and cracks the rock and reveals a face, yeah. a beautiful face.
0: But it, it looked a little bit like a sort of hunting trophy, I thought. Yeah. You know, like a, a, a severed head on a plaque sort of oh, thing.
1: Oh, wow. That's taken the beauty out of it.
0: <laughs> but then the end scene is glorious. I loved it. So they they have they have um, they basically they've got to get off the planet. They can get off the planet, and then as they've left, you see the the sort of race of beings that he's found. But you see, it's it's so beautifully done. I thought because you just see this this sort of like big puddle, and then the reflection you see the a creature sort of come up to the puddle and then bend down. But you don't really see the creature in any real detail, do you?
1: No. It's just it's really vague and beautiful.
0: Yeah, I thought that was excellent. Mysterious. Yes.
1: As opposed to the end of Planet of the Prehistoric Women. Yes.
0: So this <laughs> film inspired Roger Corman greatly, didn't it?
1: Oh, I, I think you're really pushing it with the word inspired. <laughs> He acquires these films and then he butchers them. Right. And so he s- acquired this this film and a couple of other Russian films, and then uh, what he what he did was he he cut, he cut out all the twenty minutes at the beginning, reshoots various scenes in the first one, which is Voyage to the, uh, Voyage to the prehistoric planet. It had Basil Rathbone in it, who's famous for playing Sherlock Holmes, and these scenes are just slotted in. Yeah. And the second film, which was 1968, I think, was a voyage to the planet of prehistoric women, which stars Ma, yes, Mamie Van Darren.
0: who we have just seen in the hilarious robot sex comedy, Sex Kittens. <laughs> sex kittens go to college,
1: and there she is as the leader of a, te- a telepathic group of um, female mermaids. Resplendent Brilliant. in their shell bras,
0: yeah, and their and at the end of this pants,
1: slack pants, <laughs> and at the end of this film, they after the humans have left, they decide that their god, which is a, a huge prehistoric pterosaur, is a false god, and they they throw rocks at it and destroy it, and they put in place what's left of Robot John.
0: Yeah, they find Robot John, the sort of barnacled body of barn- <laughs> Robot John. <laughs> and make him a god
1: and start worshipping him
0: yeah so that's a sort of happier ending isn't it for robot john it is for robot john he's
1: still dead but he's being worshipped
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's the best any of us can hope for
1: (laughs) he was reused and refurbished in a 1967 soviet film called his name was robert which is another robot film okay he appears in it briefly with a different head, but it's definitely Robot John's body. And the film is about a humanoid robot that's created by uh, a scientist, and it looks like him, and they do uh, the perfect woman kind of script on it. I'm in. You're in, aren't you? So we will cover that in 1967. And then, this is my favourite, he turns up in a 2004 Australian TV ad for ANZ call centres, which is hysterical. <laughs>
0: yeah, you've just shown me that. Which and is hilarious. Robot.
1: And he was partially rebuilt. His up half was rebuilt by a guy called Warren Beaton. Okay. Who I think he might still work for Weta.
0: Yeah, workshop. the um New Zealand visual effects company.
1: Yeah, so I got in touch with him. Good. Sent him an email. He sent me an earbag saying, Hi, Stephen, great work tracking me down, which made me think, did he really want to be tracked down? <laughs> <laughs> he said, Yeah, I still work at Weta Workshop. I've been a big fan of Pavel and John the Robot's creator for many years. And before uh, the opportunity came up to bring him partially, because it's only, he rebuilds the upper half for this advert uh, to life for the TV commercial. There is a blog spot that we can put on the show notes, which explains a lot on how we rebuilt rebuilt him.
0: Brilliant. We'll and, do that.
1: Uh, the advert costs 500,000 Australian dollars.
0: Yowzers. But it is good. I mean, it's got lots of other robots in, isn't it? There's Daleks in there. B9. And, yeah. There's Daleks. loads. I mean, for a for a robot nerd like you or I, I mean, it's manna from heaven, isn't it? It is, isn't it? favorite advert ever
1: i've even got an 11 minute film of the making of that advert
0: oh great can we link to that yeah we can okay we'll we'll shove all of this in in the show notes so have a little watch have a little listen so what do we think of robot john from planet of the storms it's time for us to rate the robot.
1: i want to give him a seven
0: yeah i want to give him more than seven whoa I think he's definitely not shit. So he definitely no, he's deserves not shit. he deserves a seven. Um I loved I loved the I did like the design because I thought that it was really in keeping with with the the rest of the aesthetic of the film. Yeah, very P- much. Plus, as you say, he's a right old workhorse. So he's got to have big glutes, he's got a big old chunky ass, <laughs> which he has.
1: <laughs> to heave himself up those mountains.
0: Yeah. He also is they have to put him together i really like that detail
1: yeah i like that
0: they'd thought about how they could explain you know how he would get off a ship when he when he was like quite his his movement was quite restricted i do just would like to just mention uh boris Prudkovsky, who was i guess i guess the person inside robot john
1: oh yeah well done
0: so yeah i thought he looked great i also like the little nods to his the philosophy of robot john the fact that he was clever but the fact that he thought deeply about other things as well and that he had a constitution as he said and i loved all of it
1: now there's a there's a little side note about george lucas yeah who loved pavel's films and in 1988 when he was uh, over in russia plugging the star wars franchise he asked if you could meet him but nobody really knew where he was he'd retired by then and so he never got to meet him now i've emailed george good
0: have you had as a response you do.
1: not yet <laughs> uh, to ask if if we can have if if that if they can confirm that so we can have a citation in the show so if i get an, if i get a reply i'll i'll let you know okay brilliant
0: good so we're saying very much that robot john is not a shit robot should we
1: give him an eight
0: Let's give him a seven and a half.
1: Seven and a half. We gave then.
0: Robbie the robot a seven. Good. That feels Good. right.
1: Now Love I've it. had a little query as well. Go on. Somebody sent me a message saying that we've just listened to the um, Bicentennial Man, mm. and you didn't you didn't rate him. I think well, that's
0: because he was outside of he's our. He's outside, outside. Yeah. Outside the jurisdiction of the fifty years. Okay. So next on the slate of things to watch are two TV shows. From nineteen sixty two. One was called Astro Boy, one is called Eight Man. They're both from Japan. And we'll be doing those together in the next thrilling episode of Fifty Years of Shit Robots. So listen, do us all a favour, plumbing pull your finger out and start chatting to this to your friends about this uh podcast. Because quite frankly, it takes a lot of effort on Steven's part and he's not
1: he's not getting any younger five o'clock this morning i was up <laughs>
0: researching
1: <laughs> researching
0: you know you're grinding your, your your mental fingers to the bone to come up with good stuff for this the least that you can do is like chat about it to your friends and tell them how great it is for us that'd be that'd be that'd be nice share it amongst uh, your mates on social media especially if they like stupid sci-fi because they don't think they'll like this won't they They will. They'll love it. Yeah, of course they will. So we will see you next time for another thrilling instalment. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.
1: Get away from her, you bitch!